okay. I feel the energy coming now. Whew. Yes. Must be the Holy Spirit. Okay. How many of you love Korean dramas? Why not, Casey? Come on. How many of you have ever watched Korean dramas? Yeah? All right, good. But you guys watch one of those, like, more popular ones for, like, uh, like, 도깨비, like, um, oh, the girls are, oh, I didn't, I just said 도깨비, why, oh. <laughs> and, like, 태양의 후에, the descendants of the sun, and all these things, right? But, you know, actually, the most popular Korean dramas are the ones that older ladies watch. It's not the one with Gong Yu and Song Joong Ki. They, they are popular. They're talked about a lot. But if you just simply judge by the viewing rate, the real popular Korean dramas are actually the ones that, like, uh, play every single day at, like, 8 p.m. So as Korean ajummas eat their meal or do their dishes, they watch these dramas, and these real popular dramas have one storyline. And it is their thirst for revenge. <laughs> right? They, it's always involves some kind of cancer or like a leukemia and then there's like some kind of mixed like a family ancestral marriage and they find out and then like anyways the the gist of it is that there is somebody that is dying to to the revenge you know and the the scenes you know i can act a little too (laughs) (laughs) this is why i'm not married guys (laughs) Like, you, you know, this is not enough, you know. You got to go like this, and you're going to say, thank you. <laughs> like, you know, like the real cry, you know. <laughs> like, you know, those energy just left me oh but you know come on another girl i'm not gonna leave you i'm gonna kill my own hands type of like you know that that like the fire for revenge you know the root of it is like unforgiveness you know you just cannot forgive somebody that you take it into your own hands and you are determined to get the revenge to the person right and why these dramas are so popular it's because so many people can relate to it and they feel, they feel that catharsis, you know, in English, what is it? Catharsis? Catharsis? Whatever, you got it, right? And people, as people watch it, they can't scream like that to their mother-in-law, you know what I'm saying? You know, they can't scream like that to their husband, so they, ah, you know, they can't do that. Thank you. Uh, so you instead watch someone do it, and you just feel this relief of anger. You know, you just feel like, oh, that's just me. That's what I want to do inside, you know? And that's because so many people are in bondage to unforgiveness. With all the jokes aside, you know, this is a message that can speak to anybody. I say this with confidence. One, because we all need to be forgiven. Do you say amen to this? And two, it's because we all need to forgive others. Amen to this? You know, uh, none of us can say here, we never made any mistakes. We never hurt anybody's feeling. We never did anything wrong, right? If you're convinced of this, just go ask your um, sibling, okay? And they will tell you, you are sinful, okay? <laughs> and they will say, go to the retreat, right? And you guys are already here, so I'm sure you guys know that we all need to be forgiven of our sins. Number two, we all need to forgive. None of us are here to say that we were never wronged. Can you say that you were never hurt by anybody? Can you say that you were never mistreated by anyone? You know, if you say so, maybe you're just numb to the pains of life. I'm, I guarantee that you are somewhere along the line. I know you only lived like 18, 19 years. 
That's quite short. But in that short, no, some of you older, yeah? Whatever, you know, still short, right? We're all young. Everybody in this room, in fact, is really young. So in our short lives, you know, we have gone through different things. And, you know, before I talk about forgiving other people, which will be the main message uh, for me, and I just want to speak to you guys not to tune out. Uh, a lot of times, if you especially grew up in the church as a believer, the moment the topic comes out from the pastor's mouth, and you immediately check out, thinking, oh, I know that, right? That happens. You know, the topic's thrown out, the passage is given, and, oh, okay, I know that. I listened to this sermon, you know, and when I was three, when I was seven, eight, I don't know. Forgiveness is a popular topic, so that's why I ask you guys not to tune out. Don't check out. Pay attention to maybe God has something new to say to you through me, right? And so stay tuned. And also, uh, before we even talk about forgiving other people, we must believe that we are forgiven. Before we get that down, I can't even move on to talking about forgiving other people. You cannot give what you do not receive. You know, if you you don't even believe that God can forgive you, how are you going to go and forgive other people, right? And so I'm not exactly sure how many of you here are actually not believers, not Christians yet. And how many of you actually have a firm faith that you've been forgiven and your sins are all removed from you. But one thing I just want us to clearly know is knowing it is not enough, Right? The gospel message, understanding it, comprehending it isn't enough. You got to actually believe that you're forgiven. It's two different things. Knowing what the gospel does to a human soul and knowing what God has done to me through this gospel message and knowing that I am forgiven, those are two different things. There are so many Christians who know that they are saved, but then they act like and they live like they're still working on their salvation. You know, and what that does is actually detrimental to the relationship that they have with the Lord. Because, you know, when you are in in debt, right, and you need to kind of like pay something back or make it up for somebody, like whatever you do, it just becomes work because you're supposed to do it. You need to pay them back. You need to make up for your wrongs and your mistakes, right? And then if you do that all the time, so your worship is making it up for your mistake, your sin. You're giving to the Lord your service. You're coming to the retreat is to have, get your salvation by what you do. You totally got it wrong. You're going to be so exhausted by the end of your Christian life. And so don't go into that. But think about this, right? So if, you, if, if that is your relationship with God constantly, you're working for your salvation without even realizing, right? You just think that you're trying to be a good Christian, but then you're without even realizing. When God says your debt is canceled, you don't have to pay me back anything, but you're constantly working, making like 1,200 here, like 1,700 over there. And you're bringing God the change. And say, ah, oh, this is my due for my sin and my mistake, God. You know what that does to the relationship? Imagine a relationship like that. You know, but then when we are certain that we are actually debt free, we don't owe anything to God. He canceled all the debt that I had, right? What you do to the Lord becomes a sweetest expression of love. Now what you do is, God, I do this because I love you. God, I, I do this because I am so loved by you and everything becomes this like exciting experience where you get to express your heart to the lord are you with me 
don't rob yourself of all these sweet experiences. If you don't get this, right, everything you do just becomes religion. You're simply going after just like Buddhists, just like other people who rely on the work of salvation. You're going to be one of those people who's going to be working for your heaven, ticket to heaven, right? And you may not even get it, right? And so let's not be the sinners who's standing in front of master, okay? You don't, we don't want to be that, right? Let's stand in front of him as a beloved children who genuinely love the father back. And that's who we want to be, amen? And so, yeah, that's what I wanted to make clear. We are forgiven. Everybody, you got to believe it. If you believe in Jesus, if you traded your life, you know, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. It is the blood of Jesus that covered me. So therefore I am saved. If that is your confession, believe it today that you are forgiven. Amen. You got no debt to pay back. Amen. Amen. Come on, open your mouth and say it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. And if you, you know, don't know this Jesus, definitely talk to a small group leader. We'd love to, love to share the gospel and lead you to Christ. Okay. Um, one thing about forgiveness. I used to think this as well. I, I really think, I really thought that I had no issue with forgiving others. Okay. Some of you might be thinking this, right? Oh, I think I forgave everybody. I think I'm okay. Right. So I used to actually think that and I realized as I was getting older that, like, wow, there's a reason why this is a command, okay? God commands you to forgive, right? And there's a reason why. It's because as I'm getting older, so when I was 20, right, I thought, okay, I forgave everything that, it, that, that happened in my life, right? And as I get older, things don't, life doesn't stop, and things keep happening, right? Last year, I, I picked up this book uh, by R.T. Kendall. He's a fam- famous Chris- Christian author. His book is called Total Forgiveness. And the subtitle is Achieving God's Greatest Challenge. Okay? It's not like a fun challenge. It's like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me type of challenge. Okay? <laughs> like you don't want to do this challenge type of... It, it, when you read that book, it's really intense. It makes you feel like you never forgave anybody in your life. Okay? <laughs> and so I guess I recommend it. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I recommend it. You know, it's like the greatest challenge that I really face. And I realized that forgiveness is unnatural for any human being. It's, um, it's not that I never had issues with forgiving anyone. The truth was that I was never uh, wronged like badly enough, if that makes sense. I realized that I, I had never been hurt enough to have difficulty. You with me? <laughs> You know, so things have happened and those are manageable. You know, not too bad, all right? Not doable. I can forgive them. But I realize that it's, it's not, not that I'm so good and I'm so moral and I'm so obedient that I don't have issue, issue with any, forgiving anybody. It was just that I was, I didn't have a bad enough of an offender in my life. Let me put it that way. And I realized that, yes, forgiveness right now is dealing with who you have to forgive about what happened in your life so far, right? In your 18 year 18 year long life, right? Maybe there were some people, 19, 21, or anyways, 18, whatever, right? And so things have happened and you have to forgive certain people. So it is about your past. It is about what has been happening until now, but it actually is more about what's going to happen from now on. 
because you have more days ahead of you counting, right? And I'm so sorry to say this, but hopefully, yes, hopefully, God willing, okay? We never know when we're going to die, but, you know, God willing. But there are more to happen. And I'm really, I think Pastor Anita said the same thing yesterday. Life happens, guys. Yes, God loves you. God has amazing plans for you. However, the good and the bad will happen to you. I wish I could straight up lie to you that if you believe in Jesus, your life will be comfortable and successful and beautiful. I'm sorry. That will be a straight up lie. Straight up lie. If you have that kind of simplistic gospel or the message of God's plan, oh, you are going to be so hard. You're going to be, you're going to be so, so disillusioned because that's not going to be the picture of life that you have chosen. You know, do you know you have chosen the narrow path? Do you know the Bible prophesies about you that you will be persecuted? If you didn't know, surprise, <laughs> right? Do you know that? That's the type of life that we have chosen. And if you are thinking, okay, Jesus, rosy path in front of me. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's straight up lie from the hell, I think, <laughs> right? And so... Things will happen, and that's why I say maybe you don't have issue right now, but oh, you better get this message now because it's going to matter in your life. Somewhere along the line, things will happen, may not, but probably will. People will come and hurt you. You will experience certain betrayals and things that you didn't expect to happen, and in those moments, you will have to remember this message. And you know, hear this. You cannot control what happens in your life. Everyone with me? You cannot control it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot control what happens in your life, period. However, you can control how you respond to it. That's the only thing that you can control about your life, your response to it. How are you going to respond to it? How are you going to react to it? That's something that you can now think about and make a decision about. So Artie Kendall, he talks about how this has to be, forgiveness has to be our lifelong commitment. Everyone say lifelong commitment. Yes, about your past, but it's more about your now and also your future. And the future is unknown. Okay. So when things do happen to us, you know, what's going to be our decision? This is the video that I'm going to show you guys. This video uh, rocked me a couple weeks ago. If you are Facebook friends with me, you've probably you saw it maybe you saw it um freaked me out okay um so relatable because uh this young man is in ministry um and then i later realized after i posted it i have mutual friends on facebook with this guy okay so this is uh, a video that i wanted to share with you so if you guys are they're not ready but yeah so he mm, to give you guys background he's actually actually i was a choi too i'm a choi right or something. And this guy uh, is in ministry. He, he does ministry in LA with KCCC. KCCC, that's a college ministry, right? And I'm also doing what? College ministry in Seoul, right? And I think he's probably a little bit younger than me, but like he's a man in his like late 20s, early 30s, whatever. And I was able to just relate to this story. And I just, it got me thinking. It challenged me. I was like, what am I going to do in situations like this? Okay, so why don't we watch it together?
Hi, my name is Eugene Choi. I am a new staff at KCCC. On May 22nd, I got stabbed by a stranger. This person approached me from behind asking me if I was Korean. And as soon as I said yes, uh, he just started stabbing me uh, five times total. One in the neck and four in the back. So uh, one of the strike punctured the lung and one of the strike actually lacerated my spinal cord. So currently from chest down, uh, my left side, I can't really feel any pain or temperature. And my right side, um, if I don't look at my leg, I can't really tell where my right leg is. I think my biggest struggle is uh, every morning when I wake up, I have to stretch my leg because I don't know why, but it's in a bent position. It's like 90 degree angle. So I have to straighten it out every morning uh, when I wake up. And when I straighten it out, uh, it starts shaking or my body gets spasm and then uh, my body starts cramping up and it hurts. Um, so that's what I go through every morning. But more than the physical pain, um, the biggest struggle that I go through is I don't know when this will end. Like doctors don't, they don't even know if I could ever walk again normally. I feel very useless, uh, sometimes abandoned, and many times it seems like I have no future. So I resent the perpetrator, but I know that God loves him too. And I was thinking there might be nobody who can pray for him except me. So there is always a sinful nature versus heavenly nature um, versing each other, that I want to hate him versus I want to love him. Nowadays, I ask God a lot of questions, but one of the questions that I ask is, God, what can I do? And God asked me back, Eugene, what do you have? And I looked down, and I looked at my body, and I told God, God, this body is the only thing I have right now, broken, disabled and it's useless but will you still take it and use it only thing I have right now is brokenness uh, broken life broken body but will you still use it and amazingly uh, he has been using my brokenness to mend and restore the hearts of other broken people and that's when I realized it was me who was limiting the God's ability. And finally, I came to a conclusion that when I acknowledge the Holy Spirit that's living inside of me, and when I dream with Him, uh, God will make it happen. In other words, when God dreams, God will make it come true. So uh, let's take hearts and dream beyond because we know that God already has overcome the world. Come on, go for it, go for it. Powerful story. You know, like, (laughs) 
You understand why I was so challenged by this, right? And I, I started looking up about his story, and then what I found out was it was just pure racial hate crime. It just happened on the streets for no reason. Hey, are you Korean? And yes, start stabbing. And uh, what I found out from one of his interviews actually is that he talks about the moment when it happened. And he says the memory is very, very vivid and clear. Um, the five strike, he remembers very clearly. Um, and he says that he fell after he got attacked, and he actually saw that man walking away, running away with his knife, right? And then uh, he says that at that moment, so the interviewer was asking, so what did you, what were you thinking when you were seeing him walk away? And then he said that, yeah, of course he thought about like mom and like his life and everything. But as he was looking at the man, he said, oh, this will be the experience of God's grace for him. <laughs> Not crazy. I don't think he's lying. But he said that he actually lied on that pavement of the road and thought, maybe this will be the first time for him to experience God's grace. And I really thought, wow, that's supernatural. But, you know, I really thought that, wow, this man really had the message of forgiveness in his heart. It was so deeply in there, and it was so his lifestyle. It was so, like, such a, just obedience to the core of his heart that there was not even a temptation to resent the man first. What came first was forgiveness. And then, as he was lying in the hospital bed, as he was actually in pain, as he was going through surgeries, that's when he, you know, he shared about I want to hate him, but I want to love him. You know, those thoughts, that battle started to come to him. But I just thought it was incredible that the first thought he had about someone that almost just killed him is he's lying that he doesn't even know he's going to live or not. And he thought immediately, a thought of forgiveness and grace. Isn't that crazy? So this man of God, man, this story really, really inspired us. You know, I'm not saying that this is going to happen to you, okay? <laughs> I hope you don't. You guys don't like walk away from this like fearing, you know, uh, what's going to happen to me today or whatever. But what's really the core is that, like, you know, we believe in we believe in our God who is beyond our understanding, right? And um, I just wanted to challenge you guys as this challenged me that I, I want to be someone like that who. Not mechanically, but I'm so overflowing with God's forgiveness for me and the thankfulness for that, that no matter what happens to my life, my immediate reaction is to also forgive and to, to, to show that mercy that I received. Like, all I received is God's grace and his mercy, right? You know, grace is something, receiving something good that you do not deserve, you guys, that's the definition of grace. So you didn't earn it, but then someone gives you something good, that's because of grace. That's what God showed to you. But also we're the recipients of God's mercy. Mercy is actually sparing you from something that you actually deserve, which is penalty, which is death, and which is hell. And someone said it like this, like, we don't, we don't deserve anything beyond hell. Isn't that a little depressing though, right? But that's the picture of mercy. When we deserved it god actually spared us from it that's mercy aren't we recipient of god's mercy and grace you know and if you are day by day reminded of that and you know that that's the reality that you reality that you live in man i want to be overflowing with this so that when something crazy happens i'm able to also release that mercy and grace 
right? And I know we're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can. I, I still think the same thing. I don't know if I can. Honestly speaking, I'm just being honest, right? I don't know if I can, but I want to get there one day. I want to be there. I want to be so certain about that, you know? And that is our heart's desire. I want that to be our heart's desire. Are you guys with me? And so, yeah, that's why, yeah, it applies to everybody. It applies to every single person who has someone that we need to forgive right now or not. You know, this is a message that we need to really get down in our spirit. We're going to open up the Bible. If you brought it, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. The first book of New Testament. We'll read starting from verse 21. This is a parable uh, that Jesus gives to us. And the question that the disciples asked, uh, we're going to begin with the verse 21. Okay? Yeah. Oh, I'm kind of surprised everyone's awake. <laughs> Because on my, on my notes, I wrote, wake your neighbor up, right? And then nobody's sleeping, so we're going to keep going. Okay, good. You guys are doing good? So keep going, okay? Uh, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Peter is saying, how many times should I forgive? He's saying seven times, meaning that's a lot of times, okay? Now once, twice, third, three times, he's saying that's a lot, Jesus. Seven times? So in his mind, that's like, you know, seven represents fullness, right? So he's saying, that's the max that I will go, Jesus. Seven, right? Seven times. And to that, Jesus says this. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Somebody do the math for me. Nobody's confident. Give me a confident answer. 490. Thank you. Okay. How did you go to college, guys? Uh, <laughs> 70 times seven is 490, right? Um. Machi, 490, right? Okay. Uh, Macho, okay, thank you. Uh, verse 23. Uh, so he's saying not just seven times. He's saying seven times seven, meaning like he's not saying exactly count it until 409th time and ninth, 90, 91st time you stop. He's saying unlimited. Like there's no bottom. Like you keep forgiving. So that's what he means by this, okay? You keep forgiving and you don't count is Jesus' point. It's not about counting. I forgave you three times. I forgave you 300 times. It's not about that. He's just saying, don't keep the record. Stop counting. You just keep forgiving until the end is what he's trying to say, okay? And then the story continues, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Pause right there. Let's figure out how much that is, okay? Um, do the math for me. Uh, one talent is equivalent of... 20 years wage for a normal worker, okay? 20 years of wage. So, what? 10,000 talents is, do the math, I can't do it. <laughs> it's 200,000 years of wage. Is that correct? Yes? So, 
That's a lot of money. Okay, <laughs> leave it at that. But 200,000 years worth of money. If you work every single day, okay, for how many lives is that? So even if we all make money for all our lives and get it together, that's going to be less than quarter of this. That puts it into perspective, right? Unless like some of you become like millionaires and donate all of that, right? And so <laughs> it's impossible amount to pay back. <laughs> So what Jesus meant by this is it's impossible to pay back this much, okay? So Jesus is interesting, the way he speaks. Anyways, it's impossibly a lot of money. Then verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. Other translations say, have mercy on me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Let's pause right here. Before we do the math, you just got released of all that debt. You know, imagine just your college loan getting canceled. Come on. That's like the day of... Oh my goodness, you know, some of you, it's a lot of money, right? But like, it's, we're not talking about like a few thousand dollars or even what? Like, this is 200,000 years of worth of wage, okay? And he just got canceled. He says, okay, you owe me nothing now. You go, you free men. And hold up, your wife was going to be sold. Your children were, children were going to be sold as slaves, okay? You are about to lose everything. And because this king showed him mercy, mercy, right? And he ended up receiving, okay, I don't have to pay you anything. And so probably this man was out of his mind, right? And on his way home, he runs into another homie, right? And this homie, um, this homie, verse 28, owed him a hundred denarii. hundred denarii, how much is that? It's about hundred days wages, okay? So it's about three months salary. That's not small amount, right? That's a lot, actually. But compared to what he was released from, this is nothing. So in relativism, this is nothing, okay? This is like a penny, okay? And then this is what happens. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Oh, bro. You went there. So choke him, like grab his neck and shaking him probably, saying, pay what you owe. Give me my money, right? Verse 29, so he, the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have mercy on me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. Oh, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debts. When his fellow servants saw that had taken place, saw that had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then this master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you, should not you have, huh? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also, my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <sighs> Heavy story. This is a really, really scary story. It's a parable of the unmerciful servant. And I know many of you heard this many times. As we do the math, you know, like, man, what this servant did, right? The main character of the story is kind of ridiculous. And the king showed mercy, but this man decided not to show mercy. He received it. 
but refused to show it to other people. Even though the amount was greater, what he received, the mercy he received was so unimaginably a lot, he chose not to show even any, like even a little bit of mercy. You guys get that story, right? And the reason why it's so scary is it ends with a warning to all of us. And like, it can't be any clearer than that. Like, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, this is also Heavenly Father will do to every one of you, okay? It can't be clearer than that. Every one of you meaning, but this story is talking about Christians. The servant, right? He served, the servant was first released from all of that, right? And that symbolizes something. What do you think that symbolizes? Canceling of our debt, entirely probably salvation right so this story is actually not talking about non-believers this story is talking about believers this story is talking about people that are saved by grace by god's mercy so it's not talking about people out there it's talking about people in the church and you are choosing not to show mercy like you received and um the warning applies to all of us you know i used to think that um can i can't go there right now sorry Rewind. Um, the king here, who does it represent? Probably God, right? God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? right? So, yeah, the king represents God here, whose mercy is unfathomable, right? He's so full of mercy. He showed us mercy. And the fellow servant who owed him a little bit of money, who do you think that is in your life? Somebody that has wronged you. In some way, it could be your friend, it could be your classmate, it could be your professor, it could be your mommy, daddy, whoever. Anybody that is around you have wronged you. That is the friend, that fellow servant, right? Who do you think, all of a sudden, this story goes into, like, the king, when he found out, he was angry. And he was like, you don't even show that little bit of mercy after I did that to you. And he sends him to jailers. Other translations, is the torturers, okay? Who do you think they represent? What? Huh? Mom? No. <laughs> Your mom? Who do you think this is? Somebody give me a, a confident shout of answer. Huh? Demons! There you go. Thank you, Jehi. You're all like wondering. This represents, guys, jailer. Often in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, represents demons. Yes, I went there. Angels and demons are real. Okay? This represents demons. And let me, let me, let me tell you this. This, this, I keep saying homie. I'm not even from America. Okay, this guy, <laughs> this man, okay? This man chooses not to forgive, right? And then who goes into the prison? Himself, right? The one who chose not to forgive goes into the prison. A lot of times when we think, right, somebody did something terrible to me. And they say, KC did that, right? KC, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold it against you forever. And then we think in our mind that KC is in some kind of like a bondage. Or we feel like we have power that I kept him, kept him at that place. Don't you feel that way? Don't you feel powerful when you are the one that has a choice of forgiving someone or not, and you choose not to? It makes you feel like you're the one that's powerful. And it makes you feel like he's the one in the prison, and you're the one that's like, huh, I'm not going to release you. You know, I'm not going to forgive you. But 
the Bible tells us that it's actually complete opposite. When I do that, KC goes home, okay? I go into the prison. So me choosing not to forgive him puts me behind the bars, and I am there until I'm able to pay back all my debt, which is impossible. And that's the truth of the scripture. That's why I say this is a scary story, okay? Um, oh, so many things that I wrote. I can't even. Unforgiveness is a trap. Everyone say a trap. It's a prison, okay? It's a prison that looks like this. This is a prison that you lock yourself in, okay? And this is a room that you are going to be in. This is my imagination. It's not in the Bible, so okay? Uh, it pro- probably the room looks like this. There's probably a huge HD quality, UHD quality TV. And then that screen will probably repeat and repeat the moment of offense or the trauma, whatever happened to you, when the offender did something wrong to you or made fun of you, whatever, probably the screen will play that moment over and over and over again. That's what I, it's actually, I'm speaking from experience. That's the prison that you're going to be in. The emotions that you felt at that moment, the embarrassment, the hurt, all of that will be replayed. You're going to feel it over and over and over again. The trauma, whatever happened at that moment, you actually are locked up in that memory. Are you hearing me? You are, you choosing not to let go of that memory. You are actually locking yourself in that memory. You choose to remain in that place of hurt and wound and trauma. That's what's essentially happening. The air, the feelings that you had, the emotions. No wonder you cannot be, you cannot stop thinking about it. No wonder when you stop and like, like when you just like kind of wander in your mind without even realizing you're thinking about that memory, you know, no wonder you don't experience healing from it because you are constantly re-experiencing what happened to you in that room. Nobody else put you in that room. It's actually you who did that by choosing not to forgive the offender. Okay, so this is a type of, and you know, it's my imagination, but it's actually quite true because the jailers are not just standing at the door. These are torturers. They are there to torture you in your mind, in your emotions. They're there to torture you. So that's probably why Jesus used not just guard, but jailers, the torturers as an imagery, right? So this, this, passage i realized that in my time of ministry i've been in ministry for a while now but like i actually been on a lot of mission trips to like like southeast asian countries and whatnot and like the supernatural just like breaks out whenever uh we minister by god's grace right and then uh this truth like that's kept in the scripture i have witnessed so many times how true and how spiritually, how, how it actually plays out in real life, okay? And so um, I dealt with believers harassed by demons all the time. And some of you, if you don't have like a charismatic church background, very open to the Holy Spirit type of church background, I don't want to, I don't mean to scare you, but I just want to say that believers could also be under demonic bondages, right? They could be demonized, Yes, I said it. 
believers, if you think that, oh, Christians cannot be under bondage by demons, that's, I think, very naive thinking. Because then why do you see demonized kids all the time at youth retreats freaking out, right? Why do you see crazy people at churches all the time? If I believe in Jesus sets people free from all sorts of bondages, why do we even have retreats like this and ministries like healing and deliverance, you know? And um, I can't go into too much for that, but I am, and this passage is also talking about Christian that is under demonic bondage, right? And um, I... The best way to describe it is like this, because some of you are scared. It's like this, right? Um, let's say I bought a house. Praise God. Hope so. <laughs> let's say, even in imagination, I'm happy. Let's say I bought a nice house, right? But then, so on paper, officially, it's Mewa Choi's house. Yes, it's my home, right? I signed it. I gave the payment. It is legally and rightfully my house. But I need to go still deal with the one that lives in that house. Correct? The fact that the name changed on the paper doesn't mean that who lives there changed. I need to go kick out the people that are living there and say that, hey, this is my house. I bought it. And I need to go and settle in. Correct, right? The moment I sign it, the tenants all of a sudden, it doesn't happen automatically. You got to go kick them out and then claim it as my home. Are you with me? Think about your heart, right? When you believe in Jesus Christ, ownership of your heart changes immediately. It all of a sudden used to be yourself or or devil, whatever. And then now the owner of your heart becomes who? Jesus Christ. Officially and legally and rightfully, it is Jesus' home. Your heart becomes Jesus' home. Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. You guys know? Your physical body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Legally, it takes place the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. However, who's been living there? Has your heart been empty? No, it's been occupied by other things. Idols, it's been occupied by your weird thoughts, right? And you got to deal with who's been living in there. You got to kick them out, replace it with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. That's the process of sanctification. You are replacing the thoughts of the world with the thoughts of the word of God, right? You are replacing what you used to believe about yourself, kicking it out, and you're embracing your new identity, right? You're kicking out the demons that used to live there, and you say, no, this is the temple for the Holy Spirit. It's a constant work that you need to do so it's not automatic don't be so naive christians and say that i believe in jesus and i am free forever yes but manifestation like i said you need to fight for it you gotta kick some things out so that holy spirit can take over yeah so that's the process and i'll tell you when i go on mission trips and minister to people whenever there's a thick presence of the holy spirit coming people start to get vulnerable you know like what It's not a ministry of like a mind anymore. Like people, the supernatural takes over, right? It almost feels like something that was held up in the heavenlies falls down on us. And the reality of God, his glory, his love becomes the reality, right? And And then all of a sudden people start to like fall. People start to dance. People start to ball. They do all sorts of weird things, okay? And when the Holy Spirit happens, you know, he's a power. He's powerful. He can do those things, right? And so all sorts of things happening. In the midst of it, usually someone, there's somebody demonically manifesting. Quite clear. Start gagging, start, you know, yesterday what Anita was talking about? Like, picked up a girl and threw, right? 
That wasn't me, by the way. No one can pick me up and throw me. Uh, <laughs> she was tiny, okay? Anyways. And then, um, you know, things like that, that's demonic manifestation, right? And so, you know, it's like messy stuff happening. And you, you go over and I say, in the name of Jesus, be bound. And they be bound, right? Shut up in the name of Jesus. They shut up, right? And sometimes it doesn't happen that easily. But we have authority. We've, be, we've been given authority. So we take authority over what's happening, the messiness. And then we deal with them. Because the enemy isn't the people. The enemy is the, the devil, the, the demons, right? So we don't treat them harshly. These are brothers and sisters that are just being harassed by the devil, right? So we bring them after the service. And I talk to them i do i and i say so you see anita when you guys heard that message right when she brought the men to the room who she talked to wasn't the devil she talked to the men okay so it's two different things anyways and so so you know so i i, I sit down with them and i say you know i nine times out of ten okay when there is something like this it's all because of one thing unforgiveness i'll tell you this at the beginning, I was like, I need to discern what's the roots. Why is this man under bondage? You know, I would think so hard. But then later, it became so clear, like, you know. And the first thing I ask is, who do you need to forgive? Who are you holding unforgiveness towards? And they immediately break down and weep. And I remember um, a brother from Myanmar. It was a, like a seminar for seminary students and local church leaders. We're doing seminar, and then this man initially was being touched by the Holy Spirit, and then later on, he, he, got, he got all, like, violent. He was, like, hurt, hitting his face and getting all violent. And so we realized, okay, this is demonic. And then we, like, okay, bound it. Later, we talked to him, and he had father issues. You know, he's, his father abandoned him when he was young, and then he had a really tough life with, with his mother in poverty and all of that. And so he had unforgiveness towards his dad. And then, so when, he, when we were trying to lead him into deliverance, the devil, man, he had such power because this unforgiveness wasn't formed like three months ago. It was a lifelong thing, you know. And because he had it for such a long time, it was not an easy battle to fight. So he wanted to forgive, but then his tongue would literally be paralyzed. And he would talk to me normally, and all of a sudden he won't be able to say, I forgive my father. He would be like, oh, of his tongue, tongue will literally roll up so that he's unable to declare his forgiveness, right? So we warfared. We fought for him. You know, we surrounded him, laid hands on him. And eventually, he was able to say, I forgive my father. And he just fell on the ground and started weeping. And the brother that day got set free. The demon lost his grip because he was holding on. He was given access to come in according to the scripture because he chose not to forgive it's like opening your heart wide to demon and say, come on in and torture me, right? He did that for almost all his life. And the, de the devil lived there. It was his house. You know, do you think he will leave easily? This is my house. I lived there for 20-something years. And of course, it took a fight. But then when he eventually, when he renounced the unforgiveness in his heart, the devil left. The demon came out. And then he was able to worship, cry, and his eyes were different. You know, there are... Cases like that. And I'm saying, I I'm telling you, it's not, no one is immune from this, by the way, okay? I've seen pastors' wives demonized because of the same reason. I've seen church leaders demonized, okay, with the same reason. We're living under such harassment by the devil. It's all caused by our stubbornness and our disobedience to command that God wanted us to forgive, 
Forgiveness is that important. You know, I don't want you to forgive because you're scared of these stories. But these are the realistic consequences of what we could get ourselves into. Do you want the Holy Spirit to control you? Or do you want to be controlled by these demons? Do you want to be tormented by these jailers? Or do you want to be a free person? Obviously, the answer is so clear. And so we must, we must take this seriously. Do not hand yourself over to demons and say, you know, uh, keep me in this room. Torture me. You don't want to do that. Uh, Lord's Prayer. I'm going to make it a little bit more scarier, but this is the reality. Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 5, 12 to 13. You guys know the Lord's Prayer, right? Many of us memorize it. And what does it talk about? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's what we say. It's talking about forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. But it's always coupled. It's like going together. Forgive us as we have already forgiven others. So if you look at the, like, if you forgive us, God will forgive. That's not it. Forgive us as we have forgiven our brothers for their wrongs. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray, okay? And then verse 14 to 15, right after the Lord's Prayer portion is over, this is what it says. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's what the scripture says. If you don't forgive, see, but there's two interpretations with this, okay? Some really believe that you lose your salvation if you do this. Literal reading, right? Because if you just read it literally, read it literally, that's what it says. If you don't forgive, Father won't forgive you. No forgiveness, no salvation, no heaven, right? Yes? That's like plain reading. So some actually believe that if you don't forgive, you lose your salvation. That's not what I believe. I believe that. I uh, can't get into too much details, but, you know, I just want to present that there are views, okay? Some people actually believe that you lose your salvation. I actually believe that this is talking about us experiencing the forgiveness of God will be different. Like, pretty much the way, if I paraphrase it, I'll say, if you don't forgive, the life that you're going to live will be like, a life of a non-believer. Like as someone who hasn't been forgiven of your sins. And temporarily, you know, I think this is talking about experiential, experiential, ex- what? Experiential forgiveness. Now you won't be able to feel the love and the forgiveness flowing from the Father. You won't be able to sense that mercy coming from Him because you're choosing not to forgive. Everybody with me? Wake up your neighbor right now. <laughs> There's like three people dozing off. Wake them up. Okay. Enough warnings. Enough warnings. So if you were following me, it's clear now that Scripture is clear about forgiving others. Right? Can't be clearer than that, right? So... Let me go to this. Um, How to forgive. How to forgive. Um, Why do we not forgive? 
can be super simple. Why do you not forgive? Why do you not want to forgive? Because you're hurt, right? And there, there could be many reasons, but um, the human nature, this is more like a theological talk, but in human nature, there's a little bit of hypocrisy. We all want mercy for me, justice for others. You know? <laughs> yeah, I want mercy, but I want justice for others, you know? God, show me mercy, but show Bernadette justice, you know? <laughs> Deal with the justly God, but show me a little bit of grace type of hypocrisy. We don't want the same thing that we want for ourselves, you know? Um, you know, you, but you know, what should be is freely we receive, so freely we give. Uh, that should be the mercy we receive freely, so we give mercy freely, right? Also, there's a little bit of self-righteousness. If you don't want to forgive, it's probably because you think that you're better than them. Or you think that, I'll never do anything like that. You know, and you think that, how could a person do something like that? Meaning, I'll never do anything like that, right? But you never know, is what I want to say. We can't be so self-righteous and say, we'll never do anything bad. Oh, what if, maybe not intentionally, but you may make mistakes. You know, do you think people get into car accidents by intention? You know, uh, sometimes you do horrible things by accident. You know, and who are we to say, as we are also forgiven by God, by his mercy, who are we to say that we will never do anything bad, right? Or who are we to say that's bad enough, this is not bad enough? You know, who makes that standard? All have fallen short of glory of God, right? There's a little self-righteousness that we need to kind of pick up on. Also, we want to be the judge because we don't believe that God's going to carry out the justice. You know, if you are in a court case and you don't believe in the judge, you don't think that that man is going to bring the vindication for you, you probably will want to take it into your own hands and say, judge is not going to do it. I'm just going to do it myself, right? This man deserves death penalty. I know the judge is not going to give it to him, so I'm just going to kill him myself type of mentality. Do you really believe that God is just? Do you believe that he's going to carry out justice on your behalf? And if you don't believe that, you will want to take it into your own hands and be the judge yourself. These are some of the reasons, but, you know, other reasons are there simply because we're so hurt. And, like, other reasons are, I think, legitimate, all right? So how do we forgive is what I want to go into. Forgiveness is not, I'll tell you what, forg what forgiving is not, okay? That will make what forgiving is, okay? Forgiveness is not forgetting. When... I'm old enough when I have forgotten in about what happened, you know, years, years later, then I will forgive then. You know, people procrastinating in forgiving, right? When, I, when, when enough time passes and the pain isn't so sharp, then I will forgive. That is not forgiving. It's forgetting, okay? That's you getting older. Uh, you, you don't, you can't wait. That's not obedience and that becomes pointless, that's a pointless forgiveness because it's no longer obedience. With me? And forgiveness is not denial. It's not denial. So many people, good-hearted people fall into this. They actually deny what it has done to me. They deny, oh, they didn't mean to do that, I know. So, you know, or they give like, all sorts of, they, they say all those things and say, so pretty much they're in denial, Right? They choose not to face the reality of what happened, and they just want to forget about it. You know, if you just run away from pain, that's what you're doing. 
something bad happened to you, but you're choosing not to talk about it, keep it to yourself. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share. I'm gonna forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it, forget about it, right? That's actually more than just forgetting. It's actually denial. You're denying the fact that you were hurt. You're denying the fact that someone wronged you. You're denying the fact that someone betrays you, right? So denial is not forgiving. Okay, we we shouldn't do that. We need to be honest with how how, how we felt. Forgiveness is not just releasing emotions. This is very important. Sometimes we go back to memories and we cry and cry and we, whatever, right? You do all of that. You cry and you, you know, when you cry, you feel better. Do you know that? Yeah? It feels great, right? After you cry for a while, there's that, it's, 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 um, God created us that way. It's a way of relieving, relieving your emotions. So tears not a bad thing. So brothers, cry, okay? Cry. Okay, um, sisters, you cry too. Okay, we cry, and tears are good things. And so, some people though, they just cry, 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 relieve emotion, emotion, emotional anger, and then the actual act of forgiveness does not happen. So often, so so often, right? Oh, my mom this and my mom that, and cry, cry, but then you don't actually end up forgiving your mom, and then you just want to kind of wallow in that. Self-pity forever, you know? It's willful act. When you forgive, it's actually a declaration. Canceling the debt cannot happen in your mind, you know? You got to tell the person or you got to tell God, you got to declare that the debt is canceled, right? It doesn't just happen by, oh, I guess I'm not going to get the money back and cry. And then you don't tell the person it's not cancellation. You got to actually cancel it. Willful act. It takes an action, okay? It's obedience. It's a choice. We got to make that choice and to make it out of obedience to the Lord. Um, practical steps. <sighs> you know what I love about Eugene Choi's that video, that video? I love the fact that he acknowledges the damage. And I actually, I don't love, but like, I, I can't say I love that he's hurt, but um, that it's such a reality that he feels a pain every day. Every morning he wakes up, he says his leg is bent, right? Every day, he can't walk without those walkers, right? And so every day, there's a reminder of the damage that's been done, right? Some of us, we do not even acknowledge the damage. You want to just forget about it. But what this video teaches me is that there's a daily reminder of the damage, but still, so therefore, he needs to probably forgive daily basis, right? And some of us, we are in denial that it didn't do anything to us. No, it's okay. I'm just being dramatic. It wasn't a big deal. He didn't want to do that. They had no other choice. Those things might be true. And you're just being loving towards the people that have hurt you. They didn't have intention to. It just ended up happening that way. You might be true. You might be right in saying those things. However, the damage, don't deny the damage. If an absent father did something to your life, it did something to your life. Right? If an abusive mother did something to your life, then it it happened. And we need to acknowledge that it did have damage in my life. If we're in denial of that, there's we don't know what we're forgiving them for. You may say, I forgive my dad. For what? 
I don't know. <laughs> right? I forgive him for everything. You don't actually know what you're forgiving him for. What was the damage? If you don't recognize that, your forgiveness is actually not weighty enough. Right? You need to know what you're forgiving them for. I forgive them for blah, blah, blah. If you can't fill it in, you probably was, you were probably in denial for a long time. Okay? How they made me feel. How this practically damaged my life. How this made, you know, these are the things that we need to think about. Um, and once again, practically, it's, I told you this already, declaring that they don't owe me anything. This is really hard, you know that? <laughs> you know, it's way easier to forgive someone that says sorry to you. Right? Uh, it's so hard. It's so hard, right? Todd is my favorite person to use as an example. All right, so it's Todd, right? If Todd did something wrong to me, okay, and Todd is feeling sorry about it, he feels bad. He comes and he says, Myung-ho, I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? It's actually not that hard to forgive him. Yeah? But then if Todd shows up to church, all righteous, right? I didn't do anything wrong. She's just overly sensitive, you know? She's, oh, yeah, I know, right? So if he comes off like a jerk to me, right? As if there's something wrong with me for not, you know, reconciling or something, then you know how hard it is to forgive him actually from heart? If you ever fought with a friend that you think it's clearly her fault, but she doesn't agree with you, you know how hard it is for you to actually... like reach out first and forgive from your heart, it's actually really, really difficult. I'm talking about just like relational friendship, simple matters, but think about crimes. We're living in a really, really dangerous and sketchy and terrible world, actually. Injustice is everywhere. People get run over. People dig- people's dignity are being attacked every day. If one of those crimes, oh, that was a good example, racism, right? Just... whoever I want to hurt, I hurt type of injustice happened to you. Like, how are you going to reconcile? Because that person will not be sorry to you. You will never get an apology, but you still have to forgive. Not because the person feels sorry or the person is willing to pay for your hospital bill or anything like that, right? There's going to be no compensation. There's going to be no apology. There's going to be nothing. But still, because it's a command of God, we obey and we forgive. You know how difficult that must be. That's why I say it's supernatural. And everything in the flesh will reject it. However, by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, we can and we need to obey the Lord, right? So we got to declare that they don't owe me anything, not even an apology, not even a compensation, nothing. You don't owe me anything means you don't owe me anything, right? In friendships, guys, we say that, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. But then you actually like give somebody cold shoulder, and you still feel like that person owes me something, then you, you haven't truly forgiven that person, yeah? We actually do this quite often. And so it starts with small things where we really need to declare that, okay, you don't owe me anything. You've got to declare it before the Lord. And this is a proof that whether you forgave someone or not, whether you can bless that person or not. If someone did ter- something terrible to you and you forgave that person, and if you are able to actually bless that person, right? Bless that person. If you are able to pray that, I think that's a sign that you have actually forgiven from your heart. You know, 
rather than wanting a revenge, I want that person to go through the same horrible thing, but say, no, God, I want that person to be blessed by you. Oh, that's a true sign that you have obeyed and you have forgiven. Uh, I want to end with this. When we forgive, what happens? When we forgive, what happens? Let me calculate the time here. Okay. I know I'm talking for a long time. It's okay, right? Um, Maybe it's not okay. It's okay. I'm the captain. It's okay. (laughs) This is what happens when we forgive, okay? When we don't forgive, I already talked about it for a long time. It's scary enough. This is what happens when we forgive, okay? Healing takes place in your heart. That's one of the sweetest things you will experience in God's presence. It's my story as well. Um, As you can tell, I was um, smart and popular uh, when I was younger. (laughs) I always grew up as like a class rep, and I was always teacher's favorite. I was was a good student. Uh, I had lots of friends. I had like a lot of friends and whatever. I grew up that way. And actually, when I uh, went to middle school, I guess American eighth grade, middle school, second year, um, I became really tight with uh, five other girls in my class. And then uh, we're kind of like the cool kids, I guess. But um, we formed this group, right, the crew. And then we always, like, watch TV together, cook together. We became really tight. And then uh, all of a sudden, they, they hung out once without me, okay? Once without me, and that was the beginning of everything. They talked about me the whole time. Uh, later, I found out, and then they decided to bully me, right? Uh, I grew up in Busan. If you don't know anything about Busan, it's like the city of gangsters. Uh, it's very rough and harsh. Uh, even the language, the culture, uh, it's very different. And I also, also grew up in an island. So it's like rougher than the normal Busan people. Uh, and um, they, I still remember, it was Sunday morning. So I guess Saturday they hung out, and then Sunday they started. They wanted to start, right? Officially, right? <laughs> Let's bully me on. And then they, they, so my best friend, her name's Nare. Uh, my, Park <laughs> Nare, okay? Uh, she, anyways, uh, my best friend, uh, she called me. We didn't have cell phones back then, okay? A long time ago, okay? Uh, we didn't have cell phones, so she called our house phone, okay? So I picked it up, and I was sleeping, right? I picked it up, and I remember, oh, naria, naria, whatever. And then she's like, Youngwaya, odinde? Right? I could smell, and I could sense the coldness and the cynicism behind her voice. Chibine? Like that, right? And are you home? Can we come over? Like, and I could hear four other girls giggling in the back, right? I could hear it all. It sounded like demons, man. And then I, I was like, oh, sure. You can come over. And then they were like, okay, see you in a little bit. And then they h- hung up. And I, I immediately felt cold air covering my body. I kid you not. I knew immediately something was up, right? And I got up. And I forget that. I forgot that uh, it was actually Sunday. So my parents were home. I forgot about it, right? And I was so terrified. And I started wailing, right? I go, oh, it's okay, oh, it's okay. And I started weeping because the fear just like gripped my heart. I could literally feel the cold air, right? And at that moment, I, I knew, okay, something has gone wrong. My parents popped out of their rooms like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And they were like, oh, I had a bad dream. I just made that up. And then um, they actually came over. They bought to my parents, right? Oh, being sweet girls, my best friends. They uh, brought me into my own room, made me kneel down on my knees, okay? Uh, and they started, like, scolding me. 
cursing me out. And in the middle, my mom knocked on the door, right? And she was like, oh, 과일 먹어라. Like, you know, some fruits, right? <laughs> my mom's so sweet. And then when she knocked, they were like, oh, your legs, your legs. And I, I sat on my butt. And then my mom came in with the fruit. And then we, they ate it first. And then they put me back into the position. And they kept on bullying me, right? I know. It sounds like Korean drama, right? But it, it was reality. And then uh, they just grilled me for like an hour. And then they left, bowing to my parents. Oh, thank you for the fruit. We had a lovely time. And they left, right? And then they threatened me not to tell anybody about this, right? And then the next week, I go to school. Immediately, I hear people murmuring about me, right? And I realized that slowly, but very, very fast, right? Uh, no, like people were not willing to talk to me. Uh, I went to a school where we had more than 800 girls. I'll say all of them were either involved in bullying me or just spectators. Uh, there were two girls that were helping me behind everybody's back, but that was about it, right? And then this crazy bullying year started. It lasted for a year, okay? Um, my best friends betrayed me. Um, and rumors started to spread. They started to gossip. People that I don't even know started cursing me on the streets. Um, it was quite a year. At school, I was a statue. Like, I decided not to move because if I move, somebody curse at me, you know? Uh, if I move, someone come and start bullying me. So I just decided to sit at my desk all day long. I went to school 5 a.m. I came home at like 7 p.m. And I, all I did was I sat there. I couldn't even go to the bathroom. Drank no water. I sat there, stared at my desk. That's all I did. They would burn my textbooks. They would remove my desk and chair. So I had to always find it back and bring it. It was a heck of a year. Um, curses, violence. It was no joke. Especially when that was happening, uh, I would go home. I will eat something. I could not hold on anything because, you know, you're going through such torture every day. You just can't hold on anything. So I'll eat, smiling in front of my parents, but then I will, like, puke in the bathroom. And then I will go to bed. And all I will experience all night was just voices telling you this is very spiritual battle. I wasn't even a believer. I had never been to a church before. I was just, you know, a girl from Busan. And then I would just hear voices all night. And it sounds like a thousand demons are screaming into your ear at the same time. It's a type of noise that you cannot block out. I tried to block it. It doesn't work. It's just they're all screaming at the same time. And uh, the, the, the message is so clear. Kill yourself. Kill yourself, right? Uh, I had sleep paralysis. Fear paralyzes you. It's not just a phrase, guys. It's actually real. Kawi in Korean. Like you try to sleep, and then your body gets locked up, and you can't move. And I experienced it 20, 30 times every single night. That was my entire year of school. Greatest pain, though, as I was going through this traumatic year, to say the least, was actually uh, the pain that I had in my heart about what I did against one of the girls that were bullying me. So one of the friends, her name is Jisun, I... <laughs> <laughs> She's on, I actually bullied her the year before, okay? Now you're looking at me, you deserved it then. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do all those horrible things, by the way, okay? It was more like the emotional, just the, just the crew, but then the crew, we kind of like, oh, we don't want to hang out with her anymore type of thing. But I realized what I have done to her was essentially the same thing that I was getting. And I just felt this um, shame, guilt, 
Um, I just, what I wanted the most wasn't to become friends with everyone else. I didn't desire that, right? And uh, I just wanted to hear one thing from her that she forgave me. I, my heart was longing for just one thing. I just want to receive forgiveness from her, right? So it was painful. Um, and I, one day, uh, it was lunch break. Never forget this day. Uh, lunch break. I didn't eat, obviously. I didn't eat any meal. I was sitting at my desk another statue day, right? And then uh, all of a sudden, the girls started to come in. And then I could tell they were just gathering the entire school just to have a show, right? Everybody surrounded my desk. It was like layers and layers, even out in the hallways. Like, girls packed it out. And then I'm like the one animal that they're deciding to, like, just bully. And they're like, you know, do all that. And then cursing, you got to go kill yourself and blah, blah, blah. And then I remember at that moment, something just came upon me, right? Uh, maybe anger. I don't know. I just felt I couldn't take it anymore. So before I went crazy, I think something just like rose and I just got up. And I said, come on. <laughs> I just screamed, come on. In! Like that. Stop. Please stop. And then they were like, oh, my gosh, she could actually say something because by that point, I was just sitting there for a few months, you know, without any resistance. And I said, please stop. And everybody got kind of freaked out. They didn't know what to do. And so they just kind of started to scatter, right? Oh, my gosh, look at her. She's crazy. And they're kind of almost running away. And so I was like, okay, this worked. But, like, at that moment, I was looking for Chisani. All I cared, I didn't care about anybody else. I just cared about one girl, Chisani. The one girl that I bullied. So I went to find her. That was the first time I actually got up and started walking around. So I found her in the hallway. She was going back to her classroom. And I remember, Jisona, and I rushed to her. I grabbed her arm. And she, you know, doesn't want anything with me. But then I was like, Jisona, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I did to you. It was so horrible. And I actually got on my knees right in front of her, in front of hundreds of girls. I didn't care because... I just wanted her forgiveness. So I got on my knees and I said, please, just, you don't have to be my friends again, but please just tell me that you, you can forgive me. And she suddenly looked at me. She said, cry. I saw her tears just flowing down. And then she, she actually pulled her arm out and said, I can't. She said, I can't. I won't. But don't ever do that to anyone else. And she just walked away. And then uh, that day... I came home filled with the thought of, I'm going to go kill myself. And when I got to my house, I knew exactly where the box cutter was. I rushed to my brother's room, opened the drawer. I picked up that knife, and I was, like, about to just go, right? And then um, at that moment, even though I didn't know God, God intervened. Because all months, you know, I just heard, you, gotta, you, you better die, you know? That war will be a better place if you just, if you just get rid of yourself. You've got to kill yourself, and... Because of all those voices and in sleep also, these demons screaming, you got to kill yourself, kill yourself. And I was about to go. And right at that moment, I remember, I know it's so dramatic, right? It's my life, okay? <laughs> um, and uh, right at that moment, uh, I, I believe that was God's intervention. I heard so clearly. Now, I didn't hear. Actually, I was screaming. I was screaming. The moment I, I came home, nobody was there. I was screaming. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I was desperately crying. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I want to die. 
And then right when I was about to just cut, cut I, I just started, started screaming something else. 살고 싶어. I want to live. I want to live and I want to live well. 잘 살고 싶어. 살고 싶어. 제대로 살고 싶어. 살고 싶어. 살고 싶어. I just started crying. And then I threw the knife and I fell in the crowd. And I just wept there for hours. And that's when I remember. I knew, even though I was just... I didn't even know God, but I knew that that was supernatural. And when I read John 10, 10, when it says the enemy comes to kill and still, sorry, still and kill and destroy. It's real, guys. Even before I knew God, the enemy knew who I was going to become. He wanted to take me out. He wanted to kill me. He wanted to destroy me. But God didn't let that happen because Jesus came to save. He came to give me life to the full. And at that moment, without even knowing God, what I was crying out for, I want to live well. I want to live to the full. 제대로, 잘 살고 싶어. I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. And that was the cry that was coming out of my spirit. That was a spiritual cry. And that that day I got saved, right? I mean, not like, I didn't know Jesus, but I, I, I was delivered from the moment. But see, I gotta say though, I, something inside me died that day because Jisan didn't show me forgiveness. And then that day I made a vow that I'll never trust a friend again. And I actually kept that vow for a long time. And then I came to college. And I met all these new friends. I moved to a new city. You know, you guys moved to a new city, made some friends, right? Just like that. But I was, I kept my wall up. I was like, ain't nobody's trustworthy. I can't trust no girls, you know? I was like, I'm not going to trust any of them. And I was determined. And then these men, Christian friends were crazy. They just will keep coming in, right? And they just wouldn't leave me alone, you know? Oh, man. I, I wouldn't like, I would like not even give them my phone number and or whatever. But then they would just like keep coming, you know? And um, essentially what that did, what that love broke me free. And then I, tur- I went to church with them. And then I heard about this guy, Jesus, right? And then... <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> Jesus, the gospel that I heard, what grabbed my attention was he wanted to forgive me. He wanted to forgive me, not just for what I did for Jisan, but for every single wrong and every single mistake that I've made in my entire life and the ones that I'm not even aware of that's going to happen in the future. The preacher told me that this Jesus is able to, and he wants to forgive me. The longing of my heart that I thought was impossible, Jesus wanted to forgive me. If you take this message of forgiveness for granted, because you've known it for so long, I hope this refreshes your heart. That the forgiveness meant the whole world to someone like me. And so, yeah, I decided, why not? I want the forgiveness. I want to be forgiven. And so I gave my love to Jesus. And that's how I became a Christian at age of 19. Right? I was forgiven. And then I was able to forgive my friends. Right? Though, yeah, I did the same thing. You know, I know. Okay. So I, for, I repented too. <laughs> and then I forgave all of my friends who bullied me one by one. Jisoni, Hemini, Yuni. I know them all by name, okay? Oh, Jia. 
I know I sound like I haven't forgiven them. I did. Okay, I did. I have forgiven them. But you just cannot forget the names. Like, not it, you know? <laughs> I forgave them all one by one. And then I, I kid you not, for like, for like two years, okay, I created a puddle whenever I went to church. Kid you not. Every Sunday, every Sunday, there will be a puddle of tears in front of me because I just started crying. Like, there's no tomorrow, right? Like, all the liquids were just coming out. And uh, I, I was, what was happening was God was healing me. God was healing me. And um, he started to show me that though I didn't know him, he was there for me. See, my desk, that tiny desk that I'll never forget, that I always had to get from the trash dump. You know what he showed me? Like, this is my desk, right? I was sitting right there, like a statue. He showed me doing this. Okay, I'm going to look funny, but okay. He showed me doing this. Like Jesus was like this. Like looking at my face. You didn't see that? Let me do it here. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> right? <laughs> he showed me that. He was right there. And, you know, bullying was for a year, but the healing took longer. Because I lived in the memory for so long. I had so many dreams in the moment, you know? Healing took longer, but it certainly happened. You know, I'm not crying because I'm hurt. I hope you know that. I, I cry. I cannot cry because it's my own, own life, you know. And I'll never forget this. And I don't want to forget it. I don't want to forget it. And if, I, if God gives me a choice, you know, if you have a choice to undo it, would you? I'll be like, no, God. I'll go through the same thing. I'll go through the same thing because... Though they meant it for evil, God, you turned it for my good. You know whose whose confession that is? It's Joseph's confession. In the Bible, the man that was sold by his own brothers. It's easy to talk about it, but imagine your siblings selling you just because they hated you, not even because they needed money. Just to get rid of you, they sold you to a foreign country as a slave. And this man, when he re-encounters his brothers, Man, that man goes through lots of healing. If you read the account, Joseph weeps like he wept. The Bible says he wept. He went into the side room and he wept. He wept, okay? He went through the season of healing. Okay? So I'm not the only one, right? There's a healing process. At the end, chapter 50, verse 19, he says this. Though people meant it for evil, God meant it for my good. And he led it not just to his good, but for salvation of many. Because Joseph rose as Pharaoh's right-hand man. He saved a nation by his leadership, right? Man, guys, God could turn all things into your good and the greater good of others. If you are willing to let it go. If you will set yourself free from that unforgiveness and that bitterness. And if you are willing to embrace God's plan that is beyond your understanding, oh, God is well able to do that. Let's take some time to pray. As I, um, you know, call up some people to pray for them, I just want to say this. This is something I said actually five years ago when I was a guest speaker at Emmaus Retreat. And then people liked it, so I'll say it again. Uh, <laughs> I still get quoted for this, so I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll say it again. 
you know, if you're traveling and if you got to your destination, right? And you're excited and you're standing at the baggage claim, right? Where you, you checked in your bag and you got to get it to go, right? My bag comes out, right? It drops. And then it comes to you. And if I'm just looking at it and oh, that's my bag. Does the bag come to me? Yeah, you got you to gotta pick it up, right? But if you're just standing there and say, oh, that's my bag. And then you just let it go around. And then next, it comes back to you, right? Praise God. comes back to you. And then you're like, oh, that's my bag. And then make a circle again. And then it comes back to you and say, oh, that's my bag. You do that long enough. You know what happens to the bag? It gets lost. Or it's just going to stay at the airport if you don't pick it up, okay? <laughs> and if you don't have a husband, that is, right? Uh, it's going to go round and round. And you sing. That's my bag. You say, oh yeah, that's my bag. All right, that purple bag is mine. You say it with passion and zeal or whatever. It doesn't matter. You got to pick it up. You got to take it home. You got to unpack it. You got to use it. You with me? It's like the word of God. When you come into the presence of God at a retreat maybe, if you just say, oh, that's a good word. Circle. Oh, that's a word for me. Oh, circle. Oh, yeah, again, that's for me, <laughs> right? And go around and around. And you're never willing to pick that up, unpack it, actually use it, apply to your life, never going to become yours. You're just going to leave it at the airport. You're going to go empty-handed. At this retreat, don't do that. That's what I want to say. Don't do that. You know, we're going to pray for some people, okay? And if you, if these things don't apply to you, that's fine. Engage with God, please, okay? Like I said, fight for your soul, fight for your soul, fight for other people. And I don't want no one here checked out and unengaged as if you live at the airport. No, this is not the destination, right? And so I just want to pray for some people. If there's people here, okay, so if it's your bag, just get up and come up. And altar ministers, please come to the front.